Well, good. We want to just welcome everybody watching online. Thank you for welcoming, uh, being with us. We welcome you. And for those watching from the Baldwin County Jail, we welcome you as well. Thank you for joining us. You're loved. You're very loved here. We appreciate you so much. Well, you know, every once in a while you come across these things on your phone and things like that, little memes, they call them memes. And, and uh, so I wanted just to give you a few memes I thought were kind of funny we came across recently and uh, just to share a laugh or two. The doctor says to the patient, high sodium, high cholesterol, lots of toxins, your blood test is remarkably similar to a potato chip. Huh, interesting. Uh, Got up this morning, ran around the block five times, then I got so tired, I picked up the block, put it back in the toy box. <laughs> wore me out, absolutely wore me out. I never thought I'd be the kind of person who'd wake up early in the morning to exercise, and I was right. That's right, I'm not that person. <laughs> Emergency evacuation plan, run! There you go, that's it. Don't need a plan, just run. So down here, for sale, long yellow things because banana is just too hard to smell. <laughs> ah, jeez. So yeah, he died last Friday. Thank God he wasn't beaten. Talking about eggs here, all right? Don't worry, he went over easy. He's now on the sunny side. He's definitely in a better plate. Come on, sir. Yeah. Oh. Everyone was seated around the table as the food was being served. When little Johnny received his plate, started eating right away. Johnny, wait until we said our prayers, mother abundant him. No, I don't have to. Of course you do, his mother insisted. We say prayer before we eat it at our house. He goes, that's at our house, but this is grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. I don't need to pray for my food. <laughs> uh. A pastor giving a children's sermon on vestments asked, why do you think I wear this collar? The kid answered, because it kills ticks and fleas up to 30 days. Yeah. That moment when your steak is on the grill and you can already feel your mouth watering. Do you think vegans feel the same way when they're mowing the lawn? <laughs> vegans, as in vegans. You play any dangerous sports? Yeah, I sometimes disagree with my wife. It's a dangerous sport right there. <laughs> Lastly, during labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels like when he has a cold. <laughs> oh, a little funnies for the day. Colds will wipe you out, man. They're hard things to go through. <laughs> Well, we've been talking about Daniel the last couple of weeks and working through a series called Characters. And, and uh, Daniel's taught us important, a lot of important things. And uh, one of the things he was teaching us and has taught us is how to keep our values during a time when our atmosphere around us is trying to cancel our culture. And we've realized as we studied Daniel's life that ever since he was a young man and He'd been praying three times a day. He would go and he would see, seek the Lord three times a day. We're now picking up the story in Daniel chapter 6 where he's around 80 years old. And if you took the fact that perhaps he was 17 when he entered into some kind of service to the king and started praying from that time until he was 80, I put the numbers together next close to almost 70,000 times he prayed. 
Three times a day, 70,000 times he sought the Lord. Why was he seeking the Lord? Because, because he really was determined to not forget where he came from. He, the Bible says he would go to his upstairs uh, room, he would open the windows, turn towards Jerusalem and seek the Lord and pray. And, and I believe part of that was because he, he didn't want to get caught up and lost in the culture that he was in. He was being swallowed up, if you would, by five different administrations that he was serving under. And he was one of the few people that believed in a one and true God. Everybody else had all sorts of philosophies they believed in. It. But he kept himself centered and he kept himself on the straight and narrow and he didn't veer and he became a very valuable person in no matter what administration he served under because he was a man of prayer. The Bible says that um, in chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles that the Ark of the Covenant was brought by David to a place in Mount Zion in Jerusalem called the Tabernacle of David. They would call it, they put a tent over the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. They called it the Tabernacle of David. And there they would, they would have singers and there they would have praisers and musicians and 24 hours, seven days a week, you could go and, and you could praise and worship the Lord. And as Patrick shared this morning, sometimes you would see people with hands raised, sometimes kneeling, sometimes dancing, sometimes mourning, grieving, uh, kneeling, prostrate. It was, it was, never knew what the mood was going to be. But they, but David felt like it was important that God's presence be established in the city of David, Jerusalem. And, and so, and so the, one of the reasons he did it is ex explained in chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles. He says, in order to make known among the nations what God has done, and it goes on to say at the very end of that, verse 12, to seek his face always, and to remember the wonders that he has done. To remember the wonders that he has done. I think it's important to re realize that we have to remember what God has done. We need to remember where we've come from, as Daniel continued to do every single day. What I find disturbing is that in the body of Christ at large today, we really don't know much about our history, our Christian history. I was talking with a, a, a very wise man, a very knowledgeable man. He was one of my college teachers in Bible college. And I asked him, I said, um, uh, Dr. Brown, can you tell me, I want to, I just would like to know what's the shortcut I can take? What are the cliff notes, if you would, to life? Getting, getting ahead in, in, in God and moving down the road at a quick, what's the inside track? What, what do I need to do to, to move on down the road in, in life in a quicker way? And without even uh, blinking an eye, he said, two things, son, you need to travel to a third world country and live there for a while. I said, well, I wasn't expecting that. Why would I need to do that? He said, because the majority of the world, the vast majority of the world doesn't live as you do in America. And they're familiar with poverty and uneducation and dirty water and, and they, they, don't, they have dirt floors and, and that's the way the majority of the world views life. And, and sometimes if you don't realize that, you'll make decisions in your life based upon an American culture, not a world culture. And so you need, to, you need to travel there and see what it's really like. It'll humble you and keep you from being proud and it will give you a whole new appreciation for what God has done even in your life and for this nation. I said, okay, that's valuable information, thank you. And I said, what's the second thing? He said, you need to be a student of history. Now that's not hard for me because I love history. But I said, well, why should I be a student of history? He said, because history repeats itself. Why do, you need to, why, do, why do you need to know history? Because you don't need to make the same mistakes that they made before. And plus you need to know your history because it makes you appreciate where you're at now. 
We need to be students. What I found um, uh, uh, kind of um, unflattering is that in the body of Christ, we don't know our Christian American history. We know what we studied in school and perhaps what they told us, but we would be surprised to understand that that 96% of the authors of the Constitution and the uh, Declaration of Independence and Independent were strong Christian people. I mean strong, not, not like passive, but strong Christian people. And so I just want to quickly just share a couple of things, and we're going to get in the Bible and all that. But I, I really felt impressed that, that we need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember that our nation is a Christian nation. Did you know that Patrick Henry was a general in the Revolutionary War and he was a governor uh, for the state of Virginia, the one that said, give me liberty or give me death. Remember that guy? Did you know that he loved the Lord? And this is a couple of things that he said. He said, being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world has or can boast. He would go on to say, the Bible is a book worth more than all the other books that were ever printed. Patrick Henry. Did you know John Jay? John Jay was the first um, chief justice of the Supreme Court that we ever had. He was the governor also of New York. John Jay loved the Lord. And he would say that, that it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. You don't hear that said very often, do you? It was Benjamin Rush who was the signer of the Declaration as well. This, Benjamin Rush was one of the three, John Adams said there were three people that should be recognized more than anybody else in the founding of our nation. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Rush. We don't know much, many people never heard of Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush was an incredible man. Benjamin Rush was a surgeon of the general and, and surgeon general of the Continental Army. It was his job to go around to all the hospitals and make sure everybody was taken care of. He was the father of American medicine. He was the father of the public schools. He was the father of the American Bible Society. He was a, he was the first abolitionist and started the first abolitionist society in America. He was a consultant to George Washington, and he was a very important man. Benjamin Rush was. He was, he loved he start, he helped found five different universities. This man was a powerhouse in the early stages of our nation, but one thing that stands out over all things is that he loved God with all of his heart. And Benjamin Rush would say, Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. In proportion as mankind adopts its principles and obeys its precepts, they will be a wise and a happy people. I'm talking about founding fathers of our nation. I went through a list of 52 different founding fathers and just found quotes after quotes after quotes dealing with the Bible about Christianity, about loving God as a nation. It was Noah Webster. Remember Noah Webster? The dictionary guy. Okay, Noah Webster. Yeah, you all remember him, right? Webster's Dictionary. He said that the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. Noah Webster said, no truth is more evident than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and the privileges of a free people. Mm. 
Even as America was deeply rooted in slavery at that time, yes, it was deeply rooted in slavery, but can I also remind you that the whole world was deeply indebted to slavery at the same time. There wasn't a country in the world that didn't have slavery. And then Britain caught fire through William Wilberforce, and he began to say, this is wrong, as well as Benjamin Rush and others from the American side. And then before long, the Christians rallied behind what the parliament did in Britain, which abolished slavery, and so America did as well, through Abraham Lincoln and people like Frederick Douglass and John Brown and Harriet Tubman and, 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 and Abraham Lincoln, like I mentioned. And so we abolished this thing, this blight of our nation, and called America back to greatness. And then God would come through people like Martin Luther King Jr., a, a pastor, and would raise him up to be a voice for the civil rights and begin to continue this making America, you know, the, the nation that, that loves the Lord and, and, and stir the hearts. And, 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 and then people say, well, you know, our nation's wicked. Our, our nation's got bad roots. Our, and, and that's why I need to say these kind of things, because we're living and hearing things that's trying to tell us that our nation was at its very roots a wicked nation. And I'm here to challenge you through the founders of our, of, our, of our nation that that is not true, that our nation was built on Christian principles and the Bible is the Word of God. And people say, well, we need to do away with capitalism because, you know, it just, it just, it just hurts people. Can I remind you? that the other solutions would be socialism or communism, and you need to show me one country in the world where that has worked. And can I just remind you that capitalism is the only form of, of, of economy or government that raises people out of poverty. Can I just tell you this one thing? Now listen, this isn't some public speech. I'm not trying to be political. I just feel like we just don't even have a clue where we came from. Can I just tell you that, that through, a, through a, I read this article uh, put out by James Agresti. He said that the poorest, the poorest 20% of Americans in our nation, in America, if you put it, the, 20, the least, the poorest 20% of our nation, put them together, made them a nation. Just those people. They would be one of the richest nations in the world. Do you understand that? He would have gone on to say that the poorest 20% in America are richer than the average European people in the world at this point. You can't tell me that what we have is perfect, but you can't tell me it's broken and needs to be thrown away. That God will use, if we allow Jesus and God to come into what we already have, he'll restore and awaken and create something brand new in our nation again. And so we need to understand that the roots of our nation are founded in Christianity. They're founded in the Bible. They're founded in Jesus and God as Lord of all. And if we'll throw up the, open the windows as Daniel and look back towards Jerusalem where we once were and say, God, come, 70,000 different prayers over and over. God, come, awaken our nation, stir the hearts of people again. Thunder fire from the pulpits of America. Move across our land only like you can do. God will hear our prayers if my people who humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. 
It's not complicated science here. The, 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 the nation isn't down the toilet. We, we, the, 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 the nation is waiting for the sons of God to rise up. And, and it, 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 the Bible says it's, it's very clear that the whole world is groaning and moaning and waiting for the sons of God, the church, the body of Christ to rise up and take the rightful place. Yeah. So last week we talked about, you know, the seven spheres of society and kind of whoever is heading up each sphere is whoever's the talking head of every sphere creates the narrative of what the culture believes. And, and it was, it was, I think it was a, a, a sermon perhaps worth going back and listening to the last two weeks if you missed it. And you might want to check that out. And, and I, I believe that God's challenging the church and challenging the young people and us together to, to begin to take our place as leaders in our nation with a Christian voice again. And he's challenging us uh, to, 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 to be the church that he has designed us to be and to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Well, Jesus was, he was a, a prophet and he was a priest and he was a king. He had three different titles and three different mantles that he walked in and in the earth. And now, and, and so we get to be like him. And what was a prophet? A prophet is one who tells you not maybe what you want to hear, but what you need to hear from time to time. Come on. He tells you the truth no matter how much it hurts. And, and Jesus was a prophet and, and he, he came and turned the hearts of people back unto the Father. He was also a priest. Was a priest. A priest is a person that stands between God and mankind. And he was on the cross and he stood as the high priest, if you would. And he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he'll forgive their sins, God. He made intercession. You, my friend, are a priest, if you would. And he was a king. Jesus was a king. What's a king? A king is one who has authority in the kingdom that he's operating in. And everything that touches the kingdom of God is ordered by the king. And so God is saying everything that he is, you are. You are a prophet. You have the ability and the opportunity to serve people through your love and your kindness and, and to tell them things that they need to hear, like the gospel. It's good news and you need to hear this. And let me tell you, there was a guy named Jesus that gave us life just for you. So you can be born again and free of all this stuff you're in. You can also serve people as being a priest and seek God and intercede. Some of you are only here because there was a priest that prayed for you in this earth, a grandmother, a grandfather, a father, a mother. They sought the Lord on your behalf and stood in the gap for you. And, and you can also walk in that of a kingly anointing where you can walk in the earth and, and you can begin to declare this needs to change and this needs to alter and this needs to go here, this needs to go there. And God hears, God's waiting for people to rise up and take their kingly position in the earth and say, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't care what you say. It's the earth is not the devil's. It's the Lord's. I just get too excited about this stuff. It just, it becomes real to me. It becomes, it becomes more than words of a page. It becomes a lifestyle. And sometimes I think, we, I mean, people don't come to a king and say to a king, oh, guess what, king? This is going on, that's going on, this is going on, that going on. Oh, by the way, the whole country's going down the toilet. What do you think, King? Oh, I thought this was going to happen, you know? They said that on the news, that it was going to happen. This is happening. I can't believe it. No, the King would rise up and go, whoa, whoa, not on my watch. 
we're going to change this, we're going to change that, we're going to change this, we're going to change that. You go here, you go there, let's do this, let's do that. And he begins to make changes in the culture. And as kings of the kingdom of God, we have the opportunity to declare and to be, give direction of where our society and our culture goes. We, the, the days of sitting on your blessed assurance and waiting for Jesus to come is far gone. I was raised in a church years ago as a little boy, and they, I would hear even as a little child, JP, listen, we're just hanging on. Listen, things are getting bad. It looks like there's going to be a nuclear holocaust. Russia's got hundreds and hundreds of, you know, missiles pointed at us. And we got missiles pointed at them. And it's just a matter of time. And this whole earth's going down the toilet. So just hang on. Love on Jesus. And, and just wait. I'm like, that doesn't look like something I'm looking forward to. I. I'm not really excited about the future. I wish someone had told me, JP, guess what? God has given you authority. Just like he gave William Wilberforce, like he gave um, the, uh, John the Baptist, like he gave Elijah, like he gave Elisha, like he gave Daniel. He's given you positions of authority and influence. And if you'll just let me, your God, use you, you'll be a mouthpiece and you'll change the directions of a culture, even in the positions you are in. Don't think you're insignificant. You're a major player, whatever role you're in. And so we got to get to this so we can close this out. Daniel chapter 6 is the lion's den story. It's the lion's den story. And you've heard this growing up in, you know, Sunday school perhaps. Everyone's probably at some point in their life heard about Daniel and the lion's den. And it is a wonderful story, one that has a good ending, and one that I want to just bring out because there's some points I want to bring out about Daniel and the way he handled himself in this whole story of the lion's den. Let me give you a little background real quickly. Daniel, um, well, the king, Darius at that time, was surrounded by some, some people in his cabinet, if you would, who were telling him this, 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 and this, and telling him what he needed to do, and so he was doing what they told him to do. Little did he know, because he loved Daniel. Daniel was his right-hand man. He was his confidant, he was his consultant, he was his chief guy, but he didn't know that Daniel wasn't in on this, but they made a plot, to, they wanted to destroy, they wanted to remove Daniel from the scene, and so they made this little plot that, that you know, we need to just worship you, king, for 30 days. We need to, no one should be allowed to pray to anybody else but you. The government should be the number one thing in our lives. You, king. The head of the government of all. So we need, king, let's just make a, a rule, a, 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 an edict, if you would, that, that no one can, 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 can do anything on their own. They can't have any other God except you. He's like, well, yeah, I like to be the center of attention. That sounds good to me. And they go, good. And so they make the mandate and they give it, they serve Daniel the papers. Oh, guess what, Mr. Daniel? We got you now. Because you can't pray to your God anymore. There's a lion's den waiting just for you, according to the king himself. Daniel reads the edict. He goes, huh. They said, what you gonna do, Mr. Daniel? He goes, well, 
It's about noon. I'm going to do what I always do. He checks out, clocks out, goes to his house, goes upstairs, opens the windows towards Jerusalem, bows down, and begins to pray as he always prayed to his God. <laughs> They're hearing him. He's not even trying to keep it under his breath. They hear what he's praying, who he's praying to. Ah, we got you now. You are an idiot. And they go to the king. Did you know your number one man, your right-hand guy, has gone against what you said? And you can't go back on it. And suddenly it dawns on Darius what had, it had been a plot all along to get rid of his man. He was mad at himself, no doubt, because he had gone along with this, not seeing through their, their, dis, their disguise. And now he has to keep his word. And so he, he takes Daniel down to the lion's den. And he goes down there and he is in anguish. He's not happy about this at all. He's broken that he's actually sentenced one of his good buddies to death. And he's hoping, he's hoping that Daniel's God is bigger than a lion in a den. In fact, he even says that, I pray your God takes care of you. And they roll the stone over and they seal it with a signet ring. And the Bible says that Darius would go home that night griefed in grief, and he wouldn't party, he wouldn't have any entertainment, he wouldn't even eat, and he spent his evening in just tossing and turning. The light, first light of day, he ran down to the lion's den, and you know the story. He calls out, Daniel, Daniel, did your God protect you? Are you okay? And Daniel goes, absolutely, boss. I'm fine. I'm, there's nothing wrong with me because I haven't done nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah. Lessons from the den, really quickly, five quick things. Number one, character separates you from culture. Character will separate you from the culture. Talent may get you to the platform, but integrity will keep you there. The Bible says they could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. He had character. When he made you a promise, he was going to keep that promise. He didn't talk about you behind your back. He didn't try to cheat you out of a, just to make a good deal. He was fair. He was honest. Uh, and when you spoke, uh, when he spoke, it was true. He would never, ever think about lying or shading the truth. Uh, and when he committed to himself to something, he gave it his absolute all. And he treated everybody as if they had value. And all he wanted to do was elevate others around him. He was a man with character, a man of integrity. And when you find a person, a man, a woman with a character and integrity, you want to keep them on your side as long as you can because that, my friend, that character separates separates you from the culture. Everybody else has an angle. Everybody else is working the system. Everybody else is trying to get what you got, get your money and put it in their pocket. They, 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 they tell you what you need. To, they want you to hear to get what you got. And, and so I'm telling you, the lessons I learned from Daniel is that you can't put a price tag on character. My mama and daddy used to tell me, son, whatever you do, you better tell the truth. And my mom would say this because God speaks to me. And she goes, if you're not telling me the truth, God will tell me. And I'm like, whoa. And I, I believe that. And it was true. It was true. Character. And then my dad would say, son, you better tell me the truth. Because 
you're going to get a whipping right now anyways. See, that was the day when we got whippings. He said, I'm going to give you a whooping and, um, and, and for what you did, but if you try to lie, you're going to get two whippings. So I'm like, I'll take one over two any day. So I, 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 I think character is a good thing. Number two, what I learned about Daniel is convictions are revealed in a crisis. Convictions are revealed in a crisis. What do you, what do you want people to catch you doing in a crisis? Three times a day, when he's in a crisis, what he's doing, he's seeking the face of his God, praying. My convictions have got to be greater than my love of a next breath. My convictions can never waver it. And there will be times when your convictions get in the way because you know that you could probably make this deal or get this or have that if, if if you just kind of fudged a little bit. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But your convictions are there and you go, I, I, I can't do that. And, and you may lose a deal you, you, because you told the truth and you know your opponent or your you know, competitor in the marketplace, he told a lie and you know it's a lie. And, 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 but but, but they, they bought it anyway because you told the truth. And you want to fudge, you want to do it, but character says no because you have convictions and convictions, my friend, must be revealed in a crisis. And it's, what's a conviction? What's, a, what's an opinion? What's an idea versus a conviction? A judge was trying to figure it out one day, and, he, and he's asking himself, wrestling with this, what is the difference between an opinion and a conviction? He came to this realization, well, a conviction is when a person is willing to die for what they believe. And a conviction is something that you were willing to die for if you have to. Don't separate your faith from the marketplace that you're in. Don't separate your faith from the school that you're in. Don't separate your faith from the college that you're attending. Don't separate your faith from the family or the girlfriend or the boyfriend that you like to have. It's one package deal. Be bold. Offer to pray for people. Read your Bible at school. Wear Christian t-shirts. Be vocal about your faith. Talk to people. Be out loud about it. Don't be, don't be this undercover Christian. I mean, I'm thankful that my wife has a wedding ring. You do have a wedding ring, right, Don? You know, because she was working out and got all bent up. You wearing a wedding ring right now? Okay, good. Because... This analogy is not going to work if you don't have that on. But what, what, when your mate, when your mate doesn't wear, you know, why are you wearing a wedding ring? Well, I don't want anybody to know I'm married. Come on, when you're proud of something, when you have a commitment, when you've made a covenant, man, you want people to know. What good does it do you to have a God you call your Lord if you can't summon the courage to exalt him in a culture that wants to cancel you? And number three, intimacy with God keeps you bold. I, I truly believe boldness is a reflection of the time that you spend with the Lord. Daniel was bold not because he was trying to make a point and trying to be a bad, you know, to the bone guy. He, he just loved God. <laughs> And because he loved God, because he knelt before God, he was willing to stand before God. 
If you'll kneel before God, then you have no problem standing before God. And it's your private time with God that gives you the strength not to bend in public. When you're intimate with the Lord, when you're having conversation, when you're in prayer with the Lord, when God, you're letting God speak to you and you're opening your word and asking God, God, speak to me through your word. God, it, when you're ha- driving down the road and you turn the radio off and you're just having conversation with the God, when you're washing the dishes and you're just talking to God, when, when, you're, when you're just wet work and you're just kind of doing some stuff that doesn't require much mental thought and you're just talking to the Lord, when you're spending time with God, it strengthens your resolve to be bold in a culture that says, that you are weak. So intimacy with God keeps you bold. Number four, God will keep you safe in dark times. That's what I learned. God will keep you safe in dark times. Daniel's faith that God could keep him was greater than his fear that the lions could kill him. I don't believe Daniel, let me just kind of show you kind of how this thing, archaeologists actually have uncovered during that, of that time period, a lion's den. And what it was, was a, was a pit, a square like, if you would, pit. And in the middle of the pit was a petition, a wall, with a, like a, a door that could be lifted up from up high. And then above this hole in the ground, was like a knee wall, if you would, up to about your waist or so, where you could look down into this pit in some cases. In other cases, it would be perhaps in a cave or something like that, but there would be this petition, and they would put you in this, this section of the cave or the pit, and then they would pull this door, and, and in would come these ravenous lions. And Daniel, I believe, walked into this, into this um, lion's den. I don't believe he was fearful. I don't believe his knees were knocking. I don't believe he had sweat running off his brow. I believe he was calm. I believe he was joyful. I believe he was a man of faith. And as they're lowering him down, if you would, into this hole, I believe he was just like, um, okay, we'll see how this turns out. And the Bible tells us that there was something down there waiting for him that didn't look like a lion by any means. It was an angel. Perhaps it was an angel. I don't know what that whole thing looks like. I've never, I mean, I've never seen like an angelic angel. I think I've seen people that were, you know, perhaps angels. The Bible says that we entertain angels unaware. So I mean, you know, you probably have even had perhaps a conversation with one. I don't want to get weird on you, but that's Bible, okay? And so there's, so just say there's this guy, this angel, he's over in the corner and you know, maybe he's whittling on a piece of stick or something. And there's this Daniel being lowered down. Daniel turns around and goes, oh, hey Danny, what's up buddy? All the stones rolled over. It's all dark, but it's not dark to him. Daniel, because the angel's so bright, come on. It's like a nightlight. And he's like, what's your name? I don't know what his name, Gabriel, could have been a Gabriel, could have been Michael. Who knows what the angel's name was? It was an angel, it was an angel. Daniel said it was an angel down there. Tells the king the next day. 
And, and, and so they lift up, you know, the, the lever and in comes these lions. I don't know about you, but if I was a lion and I saw an angel, I wouldn't, I would be a little intimidated. So was Balaam's donkey. He was intimidated by the, the angel. Kept turning around, wanting to get away. And I could see, you know, these lions that come into the cage. And they see this angel, they're like, like a little dog, you know, has been whipped his whole life. And they're like cowered, cowered over in the corner. And Daniel and the angel have a conversation all night long. They're singing songs, praise songs. Perhaps Daniel's singing some old David hymns. And, he, and they're just having a wonderful time. It wasn't a moment of fear. He was, Daniel didn't spend the night grieving. Oh, I hope I don't die. Oh, please don't stay, stay away, stay away. <laughs> I'm scared of lions. I'm scared of lions. No, I, I believe it was a, you, you don't face crisis with fear. You face crisis with faith. Come on, somebody. Because you know your God is bigger than the crisis. And God's working behind the scenes. He says, little children, you've overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so God honors your boldness. God honors your boldness. God will honor your boldness. And, and if you feel like because you've been bold, it's costing you something, can I just say, hang, hang on a little bit, sweetheart, because your faith, God will honor it and show you favor in the long run. Well, I lost all of my friends because I was taking a stand for Jesus. That's okay. You got better friends and more friends coming your way. Oh, that guy left me because I started telling him about Jesus. He didn't want to have nothing to do with that Jesus stuff. You didn't need him to begin with. God's got a better, better guy than that. Let him go. You walked away when the other employees started gossiping about this other person in the office, and you turned around and walked away, and now they think you're better than everybody else. It's okay. You know you're not, but you know you're not going to gossip. You're in the locker room, everybody starts telling dirty jokes and laughing, and you walk out of the locker room. And they think, oh, you goody two-shoes, oh, Mr. Preacher Man, huh? No, I just have character. I'm not gonna ram it down your throat, but there's things I'll do and there's things I won't do. I'm not gonna talk about people behind their back. I'm not gonna laugh at things that hurt my God's heart. And I'm gonna be bold. Number five, lastly. What I learned about the, Dan, the den of Daniel, that angels fight for us. Angels fight for us. It would be later, Daniel's praying, seeking the Lord on the side of a river, praying, asking God for wisdom. And 21 days later, God comes with a visitation of an angel and the angel would tell him, I heard you the first day you prayed. But I had to work through all the spiritual warfare going on. But I'm here to tell you, God has a plan. Daniel was aware that God was at work. He shouts out to the king, they haven't heard me, king, because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I done anything wrong before you, majesty. And there's an angel been here all along. <laughs> and here's what's funny. 
not funny, it's actually awesome. Daniel would not be the only person ever falsely accused in the Bible. In fact, there'd be another guy falsely accused. And people would tell lies about him after lie after lie. They would hire people to tell lies about him. And he would say nothing. I know of another man. I'm talking about the same man that would be thrown into a crowd of lying lions. This man, they would condemn and they would throw him into a pit, into a grave. And just like Daniel, they would take this man, they would roll a stone over that grave and they would do this and walk away and say, now we're done with that guy. Now we can move on with our culture. And now we can do the things that we've always wanted without having to feel guilt or condemnation from this guy that's been walking around. Yeah, this, this guy I'm talking about wasn't just in that tomb or that hole for one night. He was there Friday night and he was there Saturday night. But can I tell you when Sunday morning came, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth. I'm talking about my Lord. I'm talking about my Savior. I'm talking about the God who knows what it's like uh, to stand up and be bold. I'm talking about a man who's willing to take a whipping on his back. Uh, he's willing to take crowns on his forehead. He's willing to take nails in his hands uh, and nails in his feet. Uh, I'm talking about a man who's a real man uh, who said, uh, oh, by my stripes you are healed and by my blood you are made new. Can you give God some praise this morning? Can you give him some praise this morning for our God who knows what it's like to be condemned, who carries himself with character, who has integrity in a day when the culture says, uh, deny your faith, uh, deny your God. I will give him praise. I will give him love and I will adore him. Come on, let's sing this together, church. Come on. Thank you, Lord.
saying this morning, I really felt that we should put feet on this message this morning. Talking to the young people in the house this morning, I was a sophomore in high school. And on that particular morning, at the lunch table before school started, I realized that my journey was taking a whole other direction than my peers. They had spent the entire weekend at prom drunk and doing things that I'm ashamed to even tell you what they were doing. And they were laughing about it and bragging about it. And that morning the Lord talked to me and he said, you have a choice to make, son. Is it me or is it the culture? And I walked all day long up and down the hallways of my school. I said, God, this is gonna be a lonely journey if it's just me and you. And I went home that night after I got off the bus. I walked up and I fed my hogs and my pigs and my horse and my dogs. And I sat there in the straw. I looked up into heaven. I said, God, if it's just me and that horse and me and that hog, I'm going for you. If it's me alone, and I'm not going to be ashamed of you, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to carry my Bible to school. I'm going to put a Christian bumper sticker on my truck when I get one. I'm going to wear a cross around my neck. I'm going to tell my classmates about Jesus. I'm going to get up every morning at 5.30. I'm going to pray for them. Before I go to school, I'm going to ask God to save them. I want to be a Daniel in my culture. I want to be a Daniel in my culture. It wasn't always fun, but God made up for it more than I could have ever dreamed by giving me friends that I didn't even know I had or would ever have. Some of you, God's calling you today. It's time to be bold. Throw open the windows of your house, of your hearts. Don't be ashamed of who lives inside. Let the world know that you have a God who saved you and redeemed you and set you apart from the world. felt like the Lord say, challenge my people today to take a step and say with their step, I'm going to make a move. I'm going to make a bold move today. I'm not going to be this incognito Christian, this camouflage Christian, this try to figure out who I am guy. You're going to know who I am by how I talk, by how I walk how I treat others. You're gonna watch me. 
You can examine me. And when you get done looking at me, you're going to find one thing. You're going to find Jesus lives inside. You're going to find Jesus lives inside. So as the band gets ready to play that chorus one more time, I'm going to ask you, if you're willing to be bold today, you're saying, I'm going to walk my school halls. I'm going to go to my house of employment, my place I work. I'm going to, but I, I'm asking you, God, to help me be bold. Can I read you the scripture? Because it's not easy to be bold. Be bold. In Acts chapter 4, the Christians, they were being persecuted. And they said, oh, God, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They were, they were fearful. It would be a lot easier for us, God, as we watch Stephen just lose his life, and it would be easier for us just to kind of sneak back in the background. But, but they said, no, God, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. God, please, with great boldness, stretch out your hand, God, to heal and to perform signs and wonders through your holy name, Jesus. And after they prayed, get this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Come on, church. God is saying, if you'll pray, if you'll ask me for great boldness, I will baptize you with boldness that you didn't even know was there. If you will just step out. And so today I'm saying, church, will you join me as together we pray for God to begin to move upon us with boldness. And as the band plays, I'm challenging you. Take a step out. Meet me at the altar and say, today I'm taking a step into boldness in the name of the Lord, come on, church. Yes, Lord God. Come on, Lord. Yes, God. this culture that wants to cancel your voice out 
we throw off the cancel culture that says you don't have a voice, you don't have a say. You, in the name of Jesus, today we declare boldness that the church would rise up in its finest hour and we would declare there is one God. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. That we will not be ashamed of you, God, but we will love you and we will show you our love with our words, with our character, with our life, that you would be magnified in the name of Jesus, Lord. Christ be magnified. Yes, Lord God. taking place in our hearts today. You've been waiting and wanting to give us boldness for a while. But here we are. We're taking the step forward and we're saying, Father, whatever it takes to win my generation to you, use me. Father, if you will Put me in that situation where I need to say something, I'll say it. I'll declare it. I'll speak it. And I know, Lord God, that you will fill me with the right words to say. I'm not gonna worry about how, what to say or I don't know enough. I'm just gonna say what I know to be true. We receive boldness today receive it as a gift from you. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for it. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Love you, church. You're an amazing church. You're an amazing people. You're an amazing people. God is going to come. He's going to close us. But before he does, I want you to turn your friend next to you and tell him, look out. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to talk. I'm getting ready to shout. Come on. In Jesus' name.